morning. I know what you're thinking, and yes, that was me surfing Chatfield yesterday. Yeah? So, just just in case you were wondering. So, <laughs> Hey, thank you for being here this morning, both in person and those of you joining us online. Uh, you know, my favorite part of that video is actually, I mean, there's a version of the video where he comes flying out of the, the white foam, and, and he's still in the water, and he's still on his board, and... Um, just like gracefully falls into the water, and uh, that, that sounds good. But you know what? You know what I appreciate about that video is it ends with like being thrown up against the rocks, and people have to help you out. And the reason for that is because I think that's really a picture of how life feels, and, and of many of us, that's the experience of life, isn't it? Well, it actually it reminds me of a conversation I had with our fourth grader the other day. I said, "Hey, True, um, have you finished your homework?" And it was almost like she didn't hear me. She's like, hmm, okay. And so I was like, no, have you finished your homework? Here's what she said to me. Dad, basically I've finished my homework. I was like, basically? And you know, basically is, is it's really synonymous with not really. Not really. Like I started to think about it, Dad, okay? And I, I got thinking, if she came down to dinner and said, hey, do I have dinner? Is there a plate for me? What, what kind of response would I get if I said, basically? Or, Kara, will you marry me? If she were to say, well, basically, basically, you know. See, basically, there's this not really to it. And the reason I bring this up is because there is something about that conversation. There's something about the end of that video that speaks so much to what happens after we come to the cross. I mean, I think back and I think, man, even my own journey, I came to the cross, I trusted in what Jesus did at the cross, and then life after that just felt like getting thrown against the rocks, and and it's just kind of, when it came to the power of God and this resurrection life and this inheritance that we talked about last week, it was just kind of felt basically. Like, do you have, is is the power of God at work in my life? And I would probably look around years ago and go, eh, basically. Basically, and the reason that's hard is because I want to point you to something the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. This is not where we'll be this morning, but I want to start here. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I, Paul to the church says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is big language here. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, I don't know about you. I read that, and if that was the first thing I read about the Christian life, absolutely all of it true. But my picture of what that would look like I mean, I feel like I should be able to just dominate every single thing that comes my way. As if there's almost no difficulty to any of it. You know, and this is what I saw for years when we, when we did youth ministry. Mainly because we just, we thought more in terms of like really experiential. And so, uh, and maybe some of you, this is your story. You know, you'd, you'd go to youth, uh, you know, whether it was camp or a retreat or something, or maybe it was a conference, and there's this like really, really incredible emotional event, maybe around a bonfire at the end, or there's, you know, the music in the background. And I remember like, even, even when I went forward for this altar call thinking, gosh, it was so emotional. 
And you know what? I came away from it. It was so powerful. And we'd watch kids come home from trips and they were ready to like change and, and be completely, completely different from that day on. But in my own experience, I remember getting about a week out from that going, okay, what happened? What happened? I mean, it felt so powerful, but what happened? Where'd it go? And, and I'm convinced that part of this is because we formed our own picture of what resurrection power looks like. And again, you read that and, and it's absolutely all true, but we just imagine like a smooth life with no difficulty after that. And many of us, we came to know a gospel where we come to the cross, we trust in Jesus Christ, and then it's like it just goes silent. And we're left on our own to make it to judgment day. Which really, you know what that is? That's saved by grace, sanctified, completed by my own work and effort. And that's really not good news. And yet I know for me, that was what life was for a long, long time. Maybe a better way to say it is we've formed a picture of resurrection power according to our idea, our uses, our picture of it. You know, it's kind of like the song America the Beautiful. Okay, is everybody, you can kind of like get that song going in your mind a little bit. I'm not singing for you, okay? But there's this one lyric, it's a beautiful song. And it's, it's all true. There's just one lyric I struggle with. For amber waves of grain. And, and one day, God willing, if I meet her in paradise in heaven, I want to talk to Catherine Bates, the writer of America the Beautiful. And I want to go, listen, amber waves of grain. Let's talk. Did you ever have to drive I-80 through Kansas or Nebraska? Like one time. With no air conditioning, because amber waves of grain might be true for 60 seconds at sunset and there's a breeze and the wheat is blowing. But you know what it is? Especially when it's 55 miles an hour on I-80. It was like 10 hours of amber waves of torture. It was just terrible. Anyway, that's the first conversation I want to have in heaven one day. What were you thinking? But you know what? The song is absolutely true. I mean, if you have an appreciation, and as I get older, I do, there's an appreciation. When you drive through that countryside, there is something beautiful about it. But as a teenager, I couldn't see outside my idea and my picture and my perspective of what it would look like. And this is what we do. You know, we, we, we trust in what Jesus did at the cross. And then a lot of times we walk forward saying, thinking this thing, I have his power. Is that true? Absolutely. But this morning, and as we begin this series uh, called Staying Power, I, w- I want to throw an idea out to you. Is it possible that that's too small? Is it possible that I have his resurrection power is too small of a statement for us? And the reason I bring that up is because when we say I have his power, it's almost like a tool in the shed, right? Well, I have a hammer. Okay, and so it's useful to me when I take it out and I need it, but then I put it back and I don't think about it until I need it again. And isn't that how faith goes sometimes? I know that's been my experience for years and years, especially when I was younger. I I would view it as, well, if there's a crisis, then I need it instead of this everyday thing. And so I have his power, absolutely true, but I think there's something more complete that we've got to come to. And so to show you that, I actually want to take you to a similar statement as Paul just made in Ephesians chapter one, and it's in Romans chapter eight. And I'm just going to warn you, those of you who, who really know Romans 
or you really know scripture, you know Romans chapter 8, you could write a sermon on every single verse in there. Uh, and so we're, we're actually going to, I want to show you a movement through Romans chapter 8 this morning. And it begins at verse 10 and 11. Here's what Paul says. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, as Paul goes forward, you know what? He's about to help us understand what resurrection life doesn't mean. Okay, listen to this. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Did you catch the words there? According to? It's not according to the flesh. It's according to the spirit. And see, a lot of times, you know what we do? Is we think about this as according to me. I have his power according to me. And, And we bring it back to us. But Paul says, no, it's according to the spirit. According to the spirit and what the spirit's doing. He goes on. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Do you notice he said by the spirit you put, the, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. But a lot of times, you know what I did for years? I came to the cross. I said, Jesus, I trust you. And then by my strength, I tried to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And it was like the power of the gospel had stopped right there. And it had stopped at the cross. And like we talked about last week on Easter, I hadn't experienced this inheritance that God says, it's still intact. You have what Jesus had when he walked this earth. Because everything was by my strength, according to me. Paul says one more thing. He says, for those who are led by the spirit of God, we are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, did you catch the beginning of that one? Led by the Spirit. See, a lot of times, if I'm just being totally honest, you know what we want? I want followed by the Spirit. Listen, just, just go along behind me, make sure I'm safe, make sure I'm blessed, make sure I'm okay. And this is how we pray. We've talked about this before. A lot of times, this is how we pray. We say, God, I've got this thing in this one area, and we absolutely should pray about everything. But we think you've got to you got to bless that. Don't worry about the other areas. I got those under control, but bless that. Protect that. Give me, give me success or give me the outcome I want in that. And yet, Paul says, no, it's according to the Spirit. By the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. And see, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is that when I say I have his power, who does that start with? I. Start with us. I think it's possible. And would you consider that what Paul is getting at here is not I have his power, but his power has me. See, if his power has me, that's a totally different trajectory. And it's a much more complete statement of what resurrection life looks like. I remember, and some of you have heard this, years ago, started working with junior hires after three years of saying no to it. When we finally got there, you know what I thought junior high ministry was for? To show my absolute dominance in dodgeball and frisbee. And I was dominant. Like maybe MVP ever at West Bowls. Here's the problem. I was 25 and they were 12 years old. 
And now I don't think I could even dominate them at that. I'm 40 and they're, they're 12 years old. So, but see, that's what we think. We kind of think of it that way. You know, it exists for me, for my use, my idea, my picture. But when I read Paul's words, Paul does not start with Paul. Paul starts with him, according to him, by him, led by him. And if it's true, and if a more complete picture of resurrection power is not I have his power, but his power has me, then you know what? That, that makes much more sense out of where Paul goes after this. Because Paul says something, that if it's I have his power, you're going to do everything you can to avoid what Paul brings up next in verse 18. Verse 18, he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, you remember last week we talked about that word revealed. Jesus gets revealed when? In our trials, in our suffering. But if it's I have his power, you know what I'm picturing? No more difficulties. Everything's great. No more suffering. Just all, just glory, glory, glory right now. But Paul actually drills down on this. And Paul drills down on three different places that I think you and I, we get a new perspective on. Because isn't it true, present suffering, I mean, could be said more than ever right now? Whether it's our own lives or the headlines, just it's all over the place. Social media, you know, anytime I see somebody on social media and everything's great, 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 it's perfect, it's perfect, I just go, okay, wonderful. But we all know there's more to the story. And, and, you know, not everybody's going to bear everything on social media. Some do. Some do. I'm happy to know what they're having for breakfast and snack and lunch and snack, number two, and dinner and all that. But, but there's, there's more to it. If his power has me, well, then Paul begins to describe some elements of life. And he begins to describe some perspectives that begin to shift. Let me, let me go into it in verse 20. First, he addresses the groaning. You're going to see this word a few times, groaning. There's just groaning throughout this life. In verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So you know what happens when you begin to walk through life with his power has me? You begin to interpret what you, what the appearance of what's in front of you differently. I mean, we, we have referenced a number of times. Just you pick a month last year and you had a different crisis going on in our nation, in our world. But if his power has me, you know what I now have? I have his eyes on what is going on in front of me. And you know what it is? It's the frustration and the groaning of the world because of what sin did when it entered this world. And so you get to understand that. See, we live in a world that is constantly chasing the symptoms. Because you want to know what the headlines are? They are symptoms of a cause deeper down of what sin has done to the world. But when we chase symptoms, and, and I get it, it's nice to alleviate symptoms. We need to alleviate symptoms. But if you've ever dealt with headaches, how many days does it take before you're tired of taking Tylenol or something for the pain? And you start wishing for something deeper. Like, can we just figure out? Can we just figure out why that's there? There are symptoms and there are causes. If his power has me, then I can look at all of it. And I can go, Lord, what do you want me to step into? 
What do you want me to be part of? But with a much deeper understanding of what I'm seeing in front of me. Then he addresses something else. Not just the groaning in front of us, the groaning inside of us. Verse 23. Not only so with the world, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You know, there are two words in there that just were so interesting to me. Groaning and first fruits. Groaning within us and fruits of the Spirit. There's this really interesting thing that God does. That he often cannot, and I would say, I'll say often, but I believe it's probably most, if not all the time. That the way he develops those first fruits inside of us, excuse me, those first fruits inside of us is through groaning. Through our present sufferings. Because what he wants to develop in you, he wants to use through you, those fruits. See, we can look at the groaning of the world and we can come up with all kinds of ingenuity and all kinds of ideas and all kinds of human knowledge and wisdom and all that stuff. And none of it, none of it can touch what comes out of those first fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, when creativity for issues and and the world's groaning and wisdom and knowledge and and even our, our, just our movement and our solutions, when it comes out of those things, then it's a real solution. It's a very real solution. And it might be through legislation, you know, as we see in, in the headlines, it might be. And that may come out of that, but it's always going to start with the first fruits. And those are the things that because we can't measure them, we don't, we don't really pay attention to them. I just want to find an answer, a solution. But without those first fruits, it is only, it's only responding to symptoms. So there's the groaning in front of us, the groaning inside of us, and then there's the groaning on behalf of us. As you go forward, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You want to know why? Because he's an interceding God. At the cross, what did he do? He interceded. And now he says the the Spirit, it will intercede with groans, with groans for us. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Do you remember Jesus' last conversation with the disciples? He said, I'm leaving. That was comforting, right? Oh, okay. We couldn't even figure this out with you here, Jesus. And now you're leaving. And he says, and you are staying, but you are going to have staying power. I'm sending a helper, an advocate. I am sending the Holy Spirit. And they walked forward. And they walked forward into the groaning of the world in front of them, the groaning inside of them. But they could know, they could know that there was a power inside of them that was interceding on behalf of them, groaning for them. See, the work of the Spirit, you know when it happens? When there's groaning in front of you, groaning inside of you, groaning on behalf of you. And I got to be honest, if I were to walk through life thinking I have his power, I would be so frustrated. Because I have his power says, I just want to smooth out every bump. In front of me. And yet Jesus, Jesus said it. 
If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. It's coming. It's coming. And you don't have to have lived long on this planet to know there is a collective groaning going on here. And so Jesus says, yes, you have my power. But more importantly, my power has you. Now, what does that mean for us? You know what it says to me? That suddenly resurrection life, resurrection power, what Paul described earlier in Ephesians, has much less to do with my ability and far more to do with my availability. You know, I talked about junior high ministry. And the reason I said no to it for so long, as I've told you before, it was like the worst nine years of my life, middle school, okay? But we'd get to middle school ministry, and you know what it was? It was really a reminder of my own groaning from that stage of life. Because I groaned a lot, and many of us did. I mean, you, you listen or you ask people, okay, worst years, your worst years, over and over I hear, oh, junior high, junior high. Even when we worked with junior high, I wanted to send all the girls to high school group and all the boys back to elementary because, and I needed to go back to elementary, to be honest, and that was when I was 25. But you know why? Because God was using that time to look at the groaning in front of me. He brought up some groaning inside of me from my time of that life, uh, my, <laughs> that part of my life, what I discovered over time, that resurrection power is that he groans on behalf of me. And I have his spirit to walk forward. Now, that changes everything. That absolutely changes everything. We didn't even read it this morning, but at the beginning of uh, Romans chapter eight, he says, so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who have trusted in Christ. That's a different way forward. Doesn't mean life isn't going to be challenging or confusing, but it will no longer be exasperating is what he's getting at. And so with that in mind, in the coming weeks, I want us to talk and to think on and to read what Paul has to say about what that glorious, incomparably great, this inheritance, the riches, the mighty strength, everything he said in Ephesians and here in Romans, I want us to look at how does that actually land in our lives. And of all of Paul's letters that he described it, you know, there are many of his letters, when you read them, they divide out very nicely. And, you know, there's, there's this incredible doctrine in there and this movement of thought and, and all of it. And you can tell he was so so divinely inspired as he wrote it. But there's one letter that stands out that I kind of feel like Paul's all over the map, and that's probably just more my brain <laughs> than his. But when you read it, you just go, Paul, where are you going? And yet, amen, 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 amen to that. It's his second letter to the Corinthians. See, his first letter there, he addressed a bunch, a bunch of issues in the church, but his second letter is so personal. And when you read his second letter, Paul begins to get very, I mean, he gets personal in all his letters, but he begins to talk about what it's like when life is like a wave that has just thrown you onto the rocks. What does resurrection power look like when those moments hit? What does it look like there? And so in the coming weeks, like I said, we'd love for two things. One, for you to be here, but we could spend 170 weeks on 2 Corinthians. We're not going to, by the way, but we could, or more. But we're also going to do part of this online. And, and what I mean by that is we'd love for you, if you're not on our email list, to join us. Because midweek, um, we want to walk through 2 Corinthians together. And, and the thing that you'll see, and part of why I want this to be midweek, is because midweek is often when many of us are getting thrown onto the rocks, aren't we? 
And you can look around, you can go, is there resurrection power like actually at work in my life? And I don't know anybody who would want to say to that basically, eh, basically. No, I want to say definitely. I want to be able to say, yes, there it is. In the middle of the groaning, the groaning, the groaning. There it is. And it's not, I have his power, although that's certainly true, but his power has me and I am available to it. You know, one of, one of the maybe clearest pictures I have seen of it just happened 24, less than 24 hours ago. It's here at the church. Um, we, have, we have, you've heard about upward sports basketball here at the church. And I want to introduce you right now to Simon. Many of you know Simon. This is Simon. Simon is five years old. His parents, Travis and Christina Bolliker, they're here this morning. But uh, Travis and Christina have eight kids, and um, they're, they're involved in this upward basketball league. And um, Travis and Christina, I, we were part of youth group. Christina for a little bit, Travis uh, for years and years. And anyhow, yesterday, so it's the second to last week of the season, okay? And Simon, Simon is um, five years old. Simon's five years old, and he has not scored a basket all season, okay? Now, Simon has, he's getting to where he's getting the ball to the hoop. We're not there yet, yet. It's coming, all right? And Simon's just, as I was talking to Travis, Simon has had a rough go of it lately. Uh, as, as Travis described it, his, uh, head, his head hit the pavement a couple times recently, and he got those bumps and bruises. A, somebody walking by with a laundry basket caught him right in the dome. You know, it's not fun. So we get to the game yesterday, and we're watching this game, and Lincoln's team was playing against Simon's team, and Simon got knocked down a couple times. And at one point, after the second time, uh, couldn't help but notice Simon got up, and there were tears. There were tears. And I was thinking about what Paul said here. He said, Dad. We cry, Abba, Daddy. He said, Dad. And the tears are there. And Travis steps out onto the court, and he goes... Come on, Simon, come on. And that was all it took to send Simon running, just up and down the court, up and down the court. But my favorite moment, after a season of not getting a basket, there's about 20 seconds left in the game yesterday. And Simon is standing near the hoop, and there's an inbounds pass, and the ball lands in Simon's hands. And whether or not Simon knew it, Simon's dad was behind him. And Simon must have at some point felt his dad's hands and he went like this, holding the ball. He just went. And right then his father lifted him up and Simon had his first basket of the season. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened in the gym yesterday. Teary eyes, applause. You want to know why? Because he had his father's power. And my favorite was talking to Travis last night on the phone. <laughs> Travis said all afternoon, Simon's like, Dad, did you see my basket? <laughs> and Travis is laughing, going, uh, I was part of it. I, I, I was part of it. But how much joy do you think the father has? When you look at him and you say, yeah, I have your power, but your power has me and I am available. I mean, you think it gives you joy. How much more does it give him? And if you were to read to the end of that section in Romans chapter 8, you know what's so interesting? These groans transform into glory because that's what he does. 
And that is what staying power is. And so I ask, would you join us? Maybe you know somebody that's going through the groans and going through the trials. Bring them. Bring them next Sunday. We'll be discussing this in the weeks ahead. And so I'll invite the worship team back up. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we are so reminded that uh, as much as we think we know that we have the plan, that we have the picture, that we have the ideal for what your power ought to look like in our lives, thank you that you, well, you didn't listen. (laughs) Thank you that you looked at our lives and you said, rather than give you a smooth road, I'm going to give you a deeper relationship with me. And so in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trials, as we look at the groaning, as we experience the groaning, we can know with great assurance that you are groaning, your spirit is groaning on behalf of us with, with, with groans that words cannot even express. And so, Lord, let the cry of every single heart be, use me. Lord, I, I know I've pointed at my ability, but Lord, here's my availability. Here's my availability. Lord, just keep that on our hearts as we explore Paul's experience as we walk through his second letter to the Corinthians in the weeks to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.